Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Friday morning, baby, get ready to go out to the uh, the disco tonight, 2001 Odyssey, right by the old crazy country club in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, night fever. So it always works on a Friday. We used to do disco Fridays on this show, but Lou hated it. But Curtis loves his disco, and the truth is, is that this song makes sense on a bunch of levels because it is Friday, it is the Bee Gees, and us John Travolta-loving Brooklyn guys love that, and... I believe today is a special, well, special, is a significant day, Lewis, for Maurice Gibb. Isn't that the truth? Died 20 years ago already. Maurice is dead 20 years? Died in 2003. 21 years. Your math is great, bro. It is good. It's terrible. I said over it's, 20 years ago. Oh, I thought you said exactly 20 no, years No, no, no. No, my no bad. Way, I, I take it back. There's no way I Calm said Calm exactly. down, Fordham, baby. Okay. You, you Mr. I went to Fordham with Vince Scully Holy and <laughs> John Cirillo and Mike Gunzelman. I don't ever mention Mike Gunzelman <laughs> when you mention Fordham. Michael Kay, that's a good one. Again. Martin Scorchese. That's one of the worst things you've ever said. Connell McShane. Mike well, anyway. Gunzelman. Happy heavenly birthday to... Maurice Gibb. He died at, he was 53. Yeah, he was young. Yeah. Older than his brother Andy, who died of cocaine, but really died of a broken heart. Victoria Principal destroyed the guy. She destroyed him. And then he did a lot of blow, and he died. So, the great Andy Gibb. Uh, a lot of sports going on before we get to Curtis. New York Met great Buddy Harrelson died yesterday. We're going to talk to Ed Cranepool coming up live on this show at 9.30. We've got clips of Bill Belichick. Stepping away from New England yesterday, he's not retiring. Nick Saban, he is retiring. Stepping away from Alabama yesterday. Some Yankee news, Juan Soto, maybe the best young outbuilder in baseball, avoids arbitration. $31 million he'll get paid next year. $31 million. And the Yankees also signed Marcus Stroman, who had some good years with the Mets, sandwiched in between his years with the Blue Jays and the Cubs, to a two-year deal in order to bolster their Rotation, And my next guest happened to be a Yankee fan, but like everything else, he has soured on the Yanks. He has soured on just about everything in the city and across America. But people love him, and he was out there all day yesterday fighting for us. And, of course, it's the icon, it's the legend, my dear friend Curtis Sliwa. What a day you had yesterday, brother. Yes, but wait, that pales in comparison to the time machine I'm getting on. All right. The year was 1962. 62, the year the Mets came into existence. There was a 17-year-old free agent out of Monroe High School that had last produced the greatest Jewish hitter of all time, Hank Greenberg, who the Yankees would not take even though he was in their backyard because he was a Jew. Not only that, but Hank Greenberg married the owner of Gimbel's, if you remember that department store. 
married uh, his daughter, and I think his in-laws hated him, too, because he was Jewish. I think. Wait a second. Back then, Macy's, Kimball's, uh, all the CEOs, all the owners were Jews. You know that. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Is that anti-Semitic? But anyway, <laughs> let me progress. So I'm at with my Uncle Steve and Aunt Mary in Howard Beach, old Howard Beach, devoted Met fan, because obviously the Dodgers and Giants had moved away. So he's listening. Yeah. I think the, well, Cubs, the Dodgers and Giants moved away in 1957, so all those fans had to go five years. They couldn't root for the Yankees. They no, were the enemy. No, no, so he, they started rooting for other teams around the country, like the L.A. Dodgers, San Francisco Giants. But if you're curious as to why the Mets wear blue and orange, it's because the Brooklyn Dodgers wore blue. The New York Giants, Willie Mays, wore orange. So that's why the Mets had those colors when they were born in 1962. All right, but this is a Curtis Lewis Super Sports Spectacular. Let's match sports trivia here. So my Uncle Steve actually came from Detroit. And he told me, you know, because he was a devoted Tiger fan, hated the Yankees like all Tiger fans. Said there was a kid out of Baltimore out of high school. Played for the Detroit Tigers in right field, right out of high school. Youngest guy at that time ever to play, start a major league game, right out of high school. Same was Al Kaline. Pretty good hitter. <laughs> and with an arm. He had a gun. Great player. So he's listening to the game because uh, it was on radio. I forget which station. And I think the Mets are getting blown away by the Cubs at the polo ground. Gil Hodges was at first base. And they replaced Gil Hodges for defensive purposes. And they announced Eddie Quain pulled yes. in for Gil Hodges. My Uncle Steve <laughs> went nuts. Yeah. Who's this guy, Eddie Quain? Who's 17 years old. <laughs> and then he goes on and on. And then Eddie Quainpool started the next game. It wasn't quite Wally Pip, you know, with Lou Gehrig. No, 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 no. The Not second, exactly. The second game, he actually got a hit. And you know the rest of that story. But the fact was that I saw Eddie Cranwell for the first time on TV years later on Kiner's Corner. I love Kiner's Corner. I hated the Mets, but let's face it, they were all half in the bag. Ralph Kiner, by the time yeah, he Ralph the Kiner was not half in the bag. Ralph Kiner was worse than Howard Cosell on Monday Night Football. He was in the bag. Understood, but it was a great hit. <laughs> oh, it, was a, so whoever it, was, this, it was a horrible show. It was so bad no, you no. couldn't help but watch it. <laughs> right. Whoever the star <laughs> of the game was, whether <laughs> friend or foe. Yeah, it didn't matter. You were on Kiner's Corner. Yeah. And I remember Ed Cranepool was going on and on. Out of high school. By the way, Ralph Kiner was a tremendous hitter, too. Oh, bad baseball team. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Pirates, yeah. yep. the old Forbes yep. field. Great. But anyway, Gil Hodge, how many people would know that Ed Cranepool's first game was to replace the great Gil Hodge? I think a lot of Met fans would know that, but not most people. Because, and then later on, of course, it was Cranepool and the hammer, John Milner, who split time at uh, first base, and then when the Mets won that World Series in 69, the starting first baseman was Don Clendenin, not Eddie, although Eddie did play a lot that year. Yes, yes, uh, it was great rotation. I, I think he came from the Pittsburgh Pirates, I right? think he Don did, Clendenin. too, yes. But, but, now, but you're right, yes, Eddie did, uh, did uh, take over for Gil Hodges. I was not a big Mets fan. You were not. You're a Yankee fan. But at the 3rd Avenue Festival this year, there were two guys sitting there signing let, autographs. Let me guess. Ron Swoboda nope. and Ed Cranepool. No, Eddie Cranepool and the Hebrew Hammer, Art Chamsky. Oh, the great, you know, we try to get Art on today. We got, we got Cranepool instead, but 
Art's been in these studios many times. In fact, Bernard loved him. Over the last couple of years, he's written great books. He's a wonderful guy. Oh, he is. But I think they got Art Shamsky from the Cardinals, I think. Oh, the Reds. That's the Reds. right, the Reds. Uh, the Hebrew Hammer. And I said to Eddie Cranepo, I said, you know, Sid is such a big Met fan. Did he offer one of his kidneys to you when you were looking <laughs> to replace your kidney? Now, did you? Come on. You're such a big Met fan. I am a diehard you Met fan. You knew that yes. Ed Cranepool was yeah. dying. Did yeah. you at least submit to a test? Of course you didn't. No, I actually offered yours, Ed Cranepool. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a second. Would a Jewish kidney work in a Gentile? I think it would. Absolutely. That could have been a great experiment. <laughs> so I want to move. Uh, that's great stuff, Can I mention one other thing? Go ahead. Give me one more. I am so pissed off at my wife, Nancy. Excuse me? Yesterday she was on the Rip and Read because she was doing the deep dive on stories. And all of a sudden she chastised me. She took Justin Ellick's side in our ongoing battle about the curse of George Norcross upon the Eagles who are playing Sunday night. Well, let me just know they're playing Monday night. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Monday you got night. two games on Saturday, three on Sunday, and the Eagles visit Tampa Bay on Monday night. And I would never, ever disparage or dishonor your wife, Nancy. You know how much I love her. No, you I should. I really do. She is a thousand percent wrong. You are a thousand percent no, right. No, it was nothing over that because she doesn't know about sports like oh, that. She okay. loves baseball. She's a Yankee fan. Okay. But Justin had done a cut for me on the Rip and Read, and he claimed he was right. I was wrong. We had a big battle right on the air. And Nancy intervenes and takes Justin's side and says, I got to take you for a hearing test. You, you can't hear anymore. I'm like in your condition, both of us. You take our headphones off, the next person who puts the headphones on, my God, they throw the headphones down. Yep. They gotta go. They think they blew out their eardrums. Me, me, you, and Steve Summers have the same issue. Oh, Philadelphia, Steve <laughs> Summers. I hate Philly. But anyway, let's go to what we were doing yesterday. First of all, I have breaking news for you. As you know, even before I talk about it on the Rip and Read, Monday through Fridays, 12 to 1, or when I broadcast all weekend long, Yesterday, I had this story. I wasn't going to give it to anybody, except for you, Sid. Breaking news, WABC. So I'm going to get into the nitty-gritty of how the NYPD had sent 200 cops for a demonstration of people who are pro-cop. Meantime, they have a demonstration in Times Square last night where people were supporting the Hooties. Right. And that's not Hootie and the Blowfish. And, no, no, and Hamas, too, those exactly. same people, yes. Exactly. I have 200 cops. They brought out the drone again. I actually sent you a video where I'm talking to the drone. They have it hovering right above me. Three times I said, we're pro-cop. You didn't, you didn't need any cops here. But, but, so anyway, the bottom line is, I now find, find out two things. A, number one. The captains, lieutenants, and deputy inspectors no longer call the shots at any kind of gatherings. They send the legal team of the NYPD. So the cops have to consult with legal before they do anything. That's why nothing gets done. And I watched this personally. Robert Holden tipped me off to this when we had that big meeting the other day. He said they have to go to legal and get permission. That's why nothing gets done. Lawyer cops... Do you want cops to be lawyers who are members, card-carrying members of the ACLU? By the way, it's not just cops. Anytime, quote-unquote, legal gets involved in any business, any business, it's a death knell. But I saw with my own eyes these cops were going up to legal. Hey, they're in the streets. They're giving out pamphlets. What do we do? What do we do, legal? And you could see them mulling. Gee, what case law? What, what, what should we do? And then the news that nobody else has. 
how many times were you in Coney Island Hospital in your life? You ever get slashed, punched, uh, jacked up uh, by any of your friends along Ocean Parkway? Uh, maybe the Syrians who decided you really weren't a good Jew and they wouldn't invite you to Deal, New Jersey? I was living on East 8th and Avenue U. Yes. I had just gotten married. The year was 1993. And I got uh, beat up outside a bar by the owners of the bar on Flappish Avenue. You probably deserved it at that I time. I 100% deserved it. They told me to stop doing something, which I continued to do. Of course. That was one of the two times I was there. But just so you know, when I was uh, in high school, I wanted to be a doctor. Well, my parents wanted me. I was Jewish. Of course. course. Right. Or doctor or lawyer. Right. So, or doctor. So um, I did a program where you had an opportunity to intern at hospitals, and I did that work at Coney Island Hospital, and I worked specifically on the unit that had children that were battered. The true story. And the first day I was there, they had a little boy on the floor. He was six, and his father took his eye out. I swear to God. And I went home. I told my mom and dad. I said, I don't want to go back. I was a young kid. I was crying. Sure. Go back. The next day. A kid died from cancer, and I knew the parents there, too. So long story short, I was not going to be a doctor based on my experiences with kids at Coney Island Hospital. Well, now there are 25 cases of individuals who have active tuberculosis. Tuberculosis? That are being housed in Coney Island That's Hospital. That's a very, very infectious disease. Yeah, huh? right. It takes like nine months to get rid of it. you got to go through a whole regimen. It's worse than scabies. Re- remember, I had latent TB. I, <laughs> I had do to take, remember that, I yes. had to take horse pills every Saturday. And let me tell you something, I'll knock you out. So now watch. People who live in that immediate area, watch. They'll probably try to bring the ambulances in and shift them to another hospital because they're trying to play denial on this. Where do you think the individuals with tuberculosis came from? The uh, 25 individuals? I got to guess uh, these illegals, Venezuela or... Um, of course. Not the, Staten Island. The tent. The tents. The Fort Bennett tents. Of course, they're all in a tent. They're hacking, they're coughing up. There's no circulation. That's how tuberculosis spreads. So even if, let's say, an illegal alien didn't have it originally when they came across the border, then on the bus, and they came here, all it takes is one individual in that place hacking, coughing, no circulation, spreads like wildfire. Nobody's telling you that except for Curtis Sliwa. Right here on the Sid Rosenberg Show, I saved a prime cut for you, that Sid. That is big. That is big. Yeah, yeah. Now, let me see the head of uh, uh, hospitals and health corporation deny that, which they will. Well, see, I thought today you were going to come on and give the mayor, your friend, the mayor, Eric Adams, credit because somehow he found money. He found money yesterday, and now in April we're going to have cops go to the academy, and we're not going to slash the NYPD or FDNY budget anymore. They found money. Turns out that all those cuts... Not necessary. Wait, wait a second. Did he make another trip to Turkey that we didn't know about? <laughs> he you went see, back to Luke? You just can't. You just can't do it. Yeah, but remember, this is the same guy, remember, who had an accountant who was homeless and emotionally disturbed living in a shelter doing his tax returns. <laughs> yeah. And he continued to keep him saying, well, you have to be sympathetic and empathetic of the guy. 
Yeah, but jerky boy, he's doing your IRS tax returns, and they're causing you a problem. Do you think the onus then, uh, on the story you just broke, and again, if you just missed it, Curtis giving out these details about a tuberculosis, which is very infectious and very dangerous, break out. And uh, all these folks, about 25 of them, housed right now at Coney Island Hospital, don't you think the onus then is on the mayor to come out and tell everybody about this? Oh, but you see... Oh, he's not going to do it? This oh. is the technology. Sid, the City Health and Hospitals Corporation is a quasi-public agency. It is not directly answerable to the city administration the way other entities are. Oh, I gotcha. That's why they spend $2 billion on the migrants in which they can redact all the expenses. Oh. They can issue no big See, contracts. Yeah, I got it now. It's all yeah. tricknology. By the way, my uh, our dear friend Margaret Powers, who's married to Paul King, yes. who's running against Gregory Meeks, she just texted me that she says, the report we got was that there were 25 people with inactive TB, non-contagious. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Margaret is an expert now. I had latent TB, okay? I had to take horse pills every Saturday for a year. Why would they be housed in the Coney Island Hospital? So, Margaret, you lit the wick. Let's see where this goes. Let the city, the Corporation of Health, and hospitals answer the questions. Is it what Margaret Powers says? Latent TB, which I had, I'm an expert on. You remember that, Sid? I had it bad. Or is it active tuberculosis, which means they have to be quarantined at least nine months and go through a heavy regime? Cards on the table, right? This is five card draw poker. Hands up. Cards on the table. It's showdown time, but either or, right? Let's say Margaret is correct. What the hell are they doing in the hospital? Why are they here? They were never checked at the border. Never given a medical check. Never given a criminal check. Never given their vaccinations. And now we have to pay for this? You know how expensive it is? Can I pull out the bills of how much it cost me for latent tuberculosis? The insurance company said, late tuberculosis? I didn't think it was tuberculosis any longer. So, hey, this is one of the things, of the many things, that I'm an expert on. And by the way, you wonder why I spy on your friend Eric Adams and know about all of his movements as I tracked him with you the other night at the Bergen Hunt Fish and Shoot Human Beings restaurant of your friend, the Skifosa, the Svachi, Scarmucci, because I have rats right in Eric Adams' police detail, and I feed them the Parmesan cheese. Take that, Sid Rosenberg. You got the prime cut again, and I'll go into more of it on the Rip and Read today at 12.